Amen. As Kobe was praying that uh, that prayer, I was just made, uh, I was thinking. You know, it's real. It's real for Kobe. When Kobe was saying, uh, "Let us, you know, see your beauty," and be, I forget how you just prayed it, but anyway, something about seeing God for who He is and being changed by what we see. I just think about where Kobe was when I first first met him. In uh, and so you better stay in here and not go get coffee because I'm fixing to talk about you. Uh, I just, he is, that, that was a legitimate prayer that came from a, a heart that is full of God. I mean, he is literally, has discovered God. Uh, and I've watched it happen in Kobe's life. I've watched it happen in a lot of your lives. Just how you have discovered the reality of who God is. Uh, that God is real, that he's personal, that he's loving, that he cares for you, that he doesn't require anything from you other than receiving the free gift. The requirements are not stacked up against you, uh, demanding that you do something, be something, perform some way in order to gain God. And Kobe was in the middle of all of that. He was in the middle of all that, trying to be somebody, trying to perform a, a certain way to please God, to gain God's attention, to gain approval from God. And so was I, and so were most of you. But the beauty of what we're talking about today and what God's been, had us on this journey as a church is discovering the reality of who he is. We are not studying scripture today to try and find out what we're supposed to do. Everybody with me say, oh yeah. We are not here today to find out what to do. What to do is the natural result of who we find in scripture. We are looking for Jesus. We are looking for the reality of who he is. And and what's happening is we are all being changed by who we're discovering in scripture. Since January, we've been walking through the gospels, just looking at Jesus' encounters with people. And I, for one, have been changed by what I'm discovering. And I know a lot of you have shared that in life groups as we've been talking about what you're discovering, how that's changing the way that you not only view God, but also it's changing the, the, the way that you view other people and the way that you act in community. Because it's, and and it's, it's hard to even say act. I don't want to say that word because that's what we used to do. We used to act like Christians. But who you're becoming on the inside and, and how that's adjusting the way that from your heart, you are responding to people and, and what you're, how you're becoming more selfless and more others-focused and you know, just how God is changing your heart. And that verse that we just read, man, is great. I love that passage about in, you know, in Philippians 2 where it says, let this mind be in you that's also in Christ Jesus. Those of you that are believers need to know this. You don't have to work to get the mind of Christ in you. Just let it be. <laughs> let it be in you. Uh, you know, in, in Romans 12, Scripture talks about being transformed by the renewing of your minds. That being, that same word that's, that, that describes transform, most of you have heard me say this, but the word is metamorpho in the Greek, which is where we get our word metamorphosis. And so we need to be like, a, like worms in a, in a cocoon. We have nothing to offer to the process. We just be. Just be. If God is in you, then that transformation is happening as you stay focused on knowing him. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, not keep our eyes on works, not keep our eyes on a list of to do, uh, things to do, not keep our eyes on a list of things not to do or on denominational expectations or church religious rules and regulations. And we're, we're getting better as a church. 
at getting set free from that stuff and starting to see Jesus for who he is. And, and I, for one, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in this community as we continue to, to walk with him, keeping our eyes on him. The author and what? Finisher of our faith. He is the author, yes, but he's also the finisher. He is growing every one of you as you continue to focus your attention on him. And so let's do that today. We started this journey because Philip asked the question of Jesus. He said, uh, Jesus, show us the Father, and it will be enough. And he was right. But Jesus said, how long am I going to be with you and you not see that I am the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen him. I, I am the Father. I'm the perfect example of who the Father is. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And, and we have had the same experience. Most of us have had these ideas about God and who God was. But we, we see, we are living with, possessing, literally, we possess. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us if we have get, received the free gift of salvation through Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in us. How long is he going to be in us and we still not know God? Not hope, know who he is? Not see him in, in, in the world and in our lives and and, and experience him in our lives through our, our walk with him, abiding in him every day. How long, church? I mean, it's a, it's a question that we need. To, it's not rhetorical. Let's answer the question in our minds and hearts. How long is today enough for you? Are you ready today to start getting your focus on Christ and not letting the enemy take your focus away and put it on all the distractions that are in the world? More knowledge, more whatever, you know, more doctrine, more theology, less of all of that, you know, more actions. Abiding Christ. Abiding is a very simple concept. John describes it as one thing, obey. Obey what the Spirit leads you to do moment by moment through your life, every day. Those things that the Spirit is revealing to you to do and how to live, and you will discover God in that. He reveals himself as we obey him, John 1421. If you obey my commandments, then the Father will love you and I will love you and reveal myself to you. And we are discovering God. Isn't it great? Y'all like it? Say, uh huh. All right. All right, so I'm not alone over here. All right, so we're discovering God. Last week, Will uh, gave us a beautiful message. And one of the things that he talked about was this idea of, of Jesus looking over, over Jerusalem and, or thinking about Jerusalem and making statements about Jerusalem at the close of his ministry as he was preparing to go to Jerusalem for his triumphal entry and ultimately in just a few days later, his crucifixion and death. And so we're gonna, I want to go back to that moment. Uh, and I want us to, to look at it in Luke chapter 13, this moment when Jesus makes this statement. In today's message, what we want to see in this story, and I think it's clear, is that Jesus is bold and compassionate. It's a combination you don't see a lot. A lot of times when you see people who have a personality, that, that a bold type personality, a person, they usually are not very compassionate. Those two, uh, that combination doesn't come together a lot. If I were to ask you today, I mean, you might be able to think of someone now. I'm not saying there aren't those people. I hope that some of us are bold and compassionate. But usually you don't see the two of those. Usually a bold person is full of themselves. And, and they have their own agendas and they're trying to, you know, they're very selfish and they're going to get their way and they're dogmatic and, you know, and, and, uh, and coarse. And people that are compassionate are softer, you know, sweet. 
Mickey McManus is in the world. If you don't know her really closely. You know her closely, she's probably bold and scary. But you know, you know the people. So those two are two, not two terms we normally put together. In this story, though, the encounter that Jesus has in this story, uh, we're going to see boldness and compassion in the heart of Christ and in the way that he responds. So Luke chapter 13, 31 to 35. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you that you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's our passage for today. Do you see the boldness and the compassion mixed together in this passage? First of all, let's look at the reality of the threat that Jesus is under. First of all, the Herod who had killed John the Baptist, you remember, or his, his wife Herodias uh, asked him to do that because he promised a favor. Killed John the Baptist was a real threat. He thought that Jesus because of the works that he was doing, was John the Baptist resurrected. Look at what it says in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 14 to 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That's why his miraculous powers are at work in him. But others say he's Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of those prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So Herod thought, here's John raised from the dead, who he beheaded. Remember the story, or he gives it here. He says, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, is, uh, it is not lawful for you to have, a brother, have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted him put to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for the nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, and he brought his head to, 
on a platter and gave it to this girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in the tomb. So it's very obvious that a threat from Herod to kill Jesus, thinking that he was John the Baptist, risen from the dead, it's not like he hadn't already killed John before. So this is not an idle threat uh, that these disciples are coming, or these Pharisees, rather, are coming in to give Jesus. This is a real threat. So put yourself in Jesus' shoes. He hears this word from the Pharisees, who obviously don't like him, obviously don't want to hear what he has to say, and they come in and bring a, a real threat. So Jesus is going to die. Okay? This guy kills people like John the Baptist. You're going to lose your head. The Pharisees also wanted him gone because he was preaching a message that portrayed them as excluded from God's kingdom. And he had just preached that message in the verses prior. Look at it in verses 22 through 30 of Luke 13. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not, will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen to shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you came from. You will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and we taught in, the, in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, you will see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and north and south and recline at the table of the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first. And some who are first will be last. He's he's preaching about the Pharisees not making it into the kingdom of God. And that kind of teaching was part of Jesus' everyday teaching. The truth was they had rejected God's plan, God's Messiah. They had rejected the the lamb that was going to be slain for, for them, for the sins of the world. They not only rejected him, but ultimately killed him. So the threat was real. Both had the power to have him killed. So what was Jesus going to do? When his life is threatened, would Jesus cower in the face of the reality of death? I remember seeing my dad cower one time in my life. My dad was a, I was telling somebody yesterday, my dad was, when I, when I got a whipping at school, I also got a whipping at home. And the principal didn't even have to call home. My dad already knew about it when I got home because my dad was also the principal. <laughs> I got it twice, man. I got it. My dad was a tough man. He was hardcore. And I learned real quickly that I, I, needed, to, I needed to behave right at school. But I, I never saw my dad cower. My dad was always hard. He was all, he, you know, he, he was, everybody liked my dad, but he was a hard man. He was, he, he, he was not a weak man at all, always strong. But I'll never forget. The one thing that, that, the one time that I saw my dad, that, or one time I remember seeing my dad cower in the face of, of, a, of a circumstance that he couldn't control was, I was six years old and I was walking home from school and uh, I didn't look both ways when I crossed the road and I got hit by a truck. And the truck, it threw me, it didn't break any bones, but it threw me against a telephone pole uh, and, it, and uh, it knocked me unconscious. 
And my dad uh, was driving down the road coming home and saw the cars and pulled over and picked me up. And I woke up in my dad's hands. And I'll never forget the look on his face. I'd never seen fear in, in my dad's eyes before. But I saw fear in his eyes. And I thought, you know, something has to be drastically wrong for my dad to have this look in his eyes. My bold dad, my, my courageous dad has this look in his eyes. I was, it made me fearful for my own life to see how he was responding. Some of you have probably had an experience similar where you've seen somebody really bold, someone you depended on maybe, somebody that was really strong for you all the time. And when you see fear in their eyes, you know something's going on. There was no fear in the eyes of Jesus. The threat was real. Death was real. It, they were in his face with the reality of death. Both the Pharisees and Herod were, were threatening him. So how, what would he do in the face of that? He would not cower because he would conquer death ultimately. We sang about it this morning. Death was nothing that, that Jesus had not already known that he would conquer. He came to earth to conquer death. He had no fear in, in, the, in the face of death. When the, when the disciples looked in Jesus' eyes, every time they saw, they saw strength and courage in the face of any kind of uh, threat of death. He never cowered in the face of death. We need to realize that Jesus is the conqueror of death. A lot of times we treat death like it's, like it's the end. And consequently, we live life like death is the end. Or like life is, this life is all important. Right? Think about it. We need to realize that Jesus, the, the God that we're looking at here, is bold. He's bold and courageous, and he doesn't fear death. And why should we? He conquered death. There was, no, there was no question or cowering in the face of Jesus or worry or anxiety in the face of Jesus when these threats came. And I guarantee you the disciples were watching to see how he would respond to these threats. Well, how did he respond? I love his response. Look at it. Luke chapter 13, verses 32 and 33. Let's look at the boldness of Christ. And he said to them, Go tell that fox. I love that. Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go, on my, go my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So here's what he's saying. Herod said, they said that Herod said, you better leave or else he's coming to get you, right? The word was, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. He says, okay, here's what's fixing to happen. I'm going to be here today and tomorrow and the next day. I got business to take care of. I'm not fearful. There's no fear in Jesus' eyes. <laughs> I think about this. This is, this is kind of like... Undercover boss. Any of you guys ever see that, that show? I, I was thinking this past week of how similar this probably was for Jesus. Okay, remember Jesus, we sang about it earlier, or we read about it in Philippians 2. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, so he humbled himself. So he, he stepped out of heaven, basically, and came to earth and became one of us. He was an undercover boss. <laughs> he was. I mean, he, he created the world, right? The Bible says in John 1, the word became flesh, it dwelt among us. I mean, he, he was with God in the beginning. 
But he became, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he came into the world as an undercover boss. And so when the Pharisees were saying, oh, man, this is going to happen. Yeah, you fixing to, you fixing to die. Hair's coming to get you. He's thinking, y'all don't know that I created this world? That I already know what's fixing to happen? See, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do this today, this tomorrow, and this the next day. And by the way, I can't die here over the next three days because I'm going to die in Jerusalem, not here. So I'm cool. He already knew what was going on. Can you imagine the undercover boss being trying to, uh, that, that his manager, you know, he's working for his manager, and the manager comes up and says, man, you, you're a horrible worker. I'm fixing to fire you. Can you imagine what would happen then? <laughs> this is what's happening in this story. It's like the manager is trying to fire the undercover boss. These Pharisees are trying to tell Jesus what's going to happen in the world that he created. Jesus who knows everything that's going to happen already. So why does he have this kind of boldness? I think, first of all, he had boldness because he knew that his time was coming, and this was it. You know, he's about to go to Jerusalem to die. And so, you know, there have been times in Scripture where we have wondered, you know, where's the boldness of Christ? Because he tells everybody, look, don't tell anybody what I did because my time has not yet come. Right? Remember that? Over and over again in Scriptures, he'll heal somebody and say, don't tell anybody what I did because my time has not yet come. Because he knew as soon as the Pharisees found out what he was doing, or Herod, or whoever else started finding out what he was doing, they would seek to kill him. But now his time has come, so his boldness is up there. You go tell that fox, I'm going to do what I got to do here. Okay? So he's bold now because the time for boldness is here. He's not, he's not, he never was afraid of anybody. He just wanted to accomplish his father's plan, which is the second thing about this boldness. He knew he had an assignment from the father. And his boldness came because of this assignment that he had. Y'all remember in John chapter 5, and in the biting cycle, we teach this concept that Jesus said, I do nothing on my own. Whatever the father does, the son does also. And because the Father loves me, he shows me where he's working. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own. So why is Jesus in this town? For one reason only. His Father put him there. And his Father gave him a task to do. And it was going to take three more days to do that task. And Jesus says, I'm bold because I'm going to be about my Father's business. Kill me if you want to. But I'm going to be about my Father's business. You can threaten me all you want to. But you know what? If my Father has work to do in this town... You can't touch me. Y'all get that? Man, that's boldness. Can't touch this. That's right, Russ. Thank you for that. You can't touch me if I'm doing the Father's work. We need that word today. Y'all ready? Listen, church. Everybody alert. This is a word we need. We need to realize. Jesus gave us a beautiful, beautiful example here. First of all, we need to know that Jesus is bold. He is bold when it comes to his Father's business. He is going to accomplish his father's business. So if we will do what we are called to do and abide in him, adjust our lives to what he's doing, then nobody can touch us. They can whine all they want to. They can say, well, I don't like what you're doing, and I'm going to kill you. One of the best stories I've ever heard, an 82-year-old man uh, named Theo Carmier. He was the first French radio preacher in South Louisiana. He was 82 at the time. He's been dead for a while now. But he was dating my grandmother, which was, yeah, it was a funny thing. They would stay at the house and eat oatmeal together. I mean, it was, he had no teeth. But he was quite a checker player. 
And he, we'd play checkers, and he'd say, oh, beautiful move. Chop, pop, 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 pop. And there's all my checkers, gone. That kind of guy. Uh, taught me to play tennis. He played tennis every day at 82 years old. Right, Theo Carmier. Tough old guy, but just loved Jesus. This is one of these guys that almost glowed. You know, you know what I'm talking about? One of those old people just loved, loved Jesus. Well, he, he was preaching revivals in South Louisiana when uh, people didn't want to hear the gospel. Back a long, lot of years ago. And he said he preached in a tent one night, and a couple of guys came up to him after, the, after everybody was gone. He was leaving the tent, a tent revival. A couple of guys, young guys came up to him to kill him or threaten him. And they said, look, if you don't quit preaching the gospel, we're going to kill you right here. He said, well, you just need to kill me. And he said, one of the guys, the guy with the knife, fell dead in front of him. And it made it in the paper. I didn't go search the paper, but he said it was in the paper. You know, I think about that. Here's what we need to know. We need to have that kind of boldness in the sense that if God's called us to do something, nobody can stop it. Y'all with me? If we are walking with God, I'm not talking about walking in our own plan. I'm not talking about walking in a selfish agenda where we're gaining something for ourselves, where we're out there trying to make a name for ourselves and and build something big to get, you know, for self-gratification or some kind of uh, attention of man. I'm saying if we abide in Christ, guess what? Nobody can touch us. It doesn't matter. We went and served God on mission trips in Honduras. We didn't even find out until after we got back, like the third trip, that that city that we were flying into was the most dangerous city in the world. It changed nothing about the way I felt about going to Honduras. You know why? Because I knew God called us to go. And, and we need to know that, that in your, in your workplace... When God calls you to have a relationship and begin to bless somebody that you think they're never going to respond, they're going to make fun of you, they're going to laugh at you, they're going to you know, not receive you. If God leads you to do it, guess what? There's nothing they can do to stop it. God, when we're on God's agenda, we can have boldness like Christ did in this story. That's, that's the Jesus that we serve. He's bold, and he, when he's on the Father's agenda, he, you can have boldness. There's no fear. When we walk in what God tells us to do, it doesn't matter what circumstances start looking like. Everything starts falling apart. It looks like, oh, we're, we're by ourselves. Uh, you know, the plan's not working. It's working when you're walking with God. So abide in Him. Jesus was bold because He was walking in the Father's assignment. Jesus was also making it clear that He was not running away from Jerusalem, but He was running toward it. He said, listen. I know I'm going to die. That time is coming, but it's going to happen in Jerusalem, not here. So he's admitting it with his boldness. It's not like I'm afraid of death. I'm fixing to embrace it, and you're going to be a part of it because I'm going to walk into Jerusalem, and you're going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You're going to be the ones raising your hands and waving palm branches. That's coming. Jesus doesn't just express his boldness. He also reveals in this beautiful story, compassion. As his ministry on earth is coming to an end. Listen to what he says in the next verse. Verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets and stones those who, who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as hens gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus, he's not angry at those that would even ultimately kill him. Y'all with me? Look, he's talking about, you see this great boldness in his life for all those reasons we just discussed, but then you see right on the heels of that, he's not even mad at the ones that are going to kill him in Jerusalem. 
he, he says this beautiful phrase, Jerusalem, you, you've killed the prophets, you've stoned them, you, you, everybody that represented me prior to my coming, you've killed them all. And yet I would have taken you under my wing if you just received me, if you just come to me. You know, the Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us because we were good. He died for us in, while we were in rebellion against him. Get that picture of Jesus. You talk about compassion. And he has this boldness. He knows how it's all going to end, but he, he reaches out with everything that he can to try and draw us in. And Jesus gives this beautiful statement. He's not angry with those that would kill him. He didn't respond out of frustration that they were trying to interrupt his work either. You know, he's in this place doing his work. He wasn't, if you guys would just back off, I could get this work done. He wasn't frustrated. He wasn't angry. He's just responding with compassion. Instead of responding out of anger and frustration, he reveals his compassion. God had a plan to redeem Israel. It was all part of God's plan from the beginning. This is God's chosen people. God had a plan to redeem Israel. And it was through Christ. And Jesus says, I would have called, I've called you. I would have gathered you together if you just listened, just heard me. But they didn't. It seems that Jesus would, would have responded by just squashing them. And instead, he talks about the compassion that's in his heart, a compassion that's unending. He says, often I would have. How often I would have gathered you together. It's not, a, it's not a compassion that ends. It's a compassion that continues to build, even as their, their hatred towards him continues to build. Even as they desire to kill him, that desire rises up inside of them. That anger builds up inside of them. That frustration builds up inside of them. It's, it's met by love, an unending, unending love. How often I would have gathered you. A father's love. He says, you know, he describes them as, ch- as children. I get would gather you as children, a child of God, with all the benefits of the kingdom of God. Jesus invites us to be, the Bible describes us as joint heirs with Christ. That means that we are children of God, adopted sons and daughters that get everything that Christ gets. We get that in Jesus. Brothers and sisters of Christ. The Bible says that, well, I'll read this in just a minute. But anyway, we're brothers and sisters of Christ, adopted by him. And then he gives also the description of this compassion that's like a mother's love, like a hen gathering them under her wings, nurturing, protecting, providing love. But as God's offer of compassion is unending, so is Israel's rebellion. It's unending. It never stops. Israel killed the prophets that spoke of God's compassion and his provision, and they would kill Jesus. But they could not and would not kill his compassion. Y'all with me? Look at John chapter 1. Two more passages before we, or three before we quit. John 1, 9 to 13. <clears throat> I was saying er- earlier in John chapter 1, it describes Jesus as being a, being a part of the Trinity in creation. It says... Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And and the Word ultimately becomes flesh. So he's talking about Jesus becoming flesh. So the Word is another term that's used to describe Christ. But it also describes him as the true light. Look at what it says in verse 9. 
the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people, Israel, did not receive him. But here's the good news that I was going to quote earlier. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Man, that's compassion. That's the kind of compassion that could not be killed. Jesus comes into the world and to his own people, and his own received him not. And he still would have gathered them together like a mother gathers her children, like a father. He, he would have provided for them all the benefits that, that Christ himself had, being the, uh, the son of the father. He would have gathered them together and provided for them and loved them and had compassion for them. And his compassion never ends. It continues even to the end. Listen to the compassion of God as we close this morning. Romans chapter 5. Just listen for it. Y'all, what, y'all ready? I'm just going to read this passage. It's so beautiful. As it describes the compassion of this bold God of ours who knows everything that's going to happen in the world before it ever happens, has this foreknowledge of, of all that's going to occur in, in the world, is never thrown off of his throne, is never caught, in, caught by surprise, is never frustrated because he already knows what's happening and he's planning around it and he's leading us as his children through it as we allow him to lead us. This is what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled by God, uh, to God by his, the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Yes. God has given it to us. That's his compassion. Not when we were good, not when we were at our best, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the love of God demonstrated for us. His his compassion for us is demonstrated in that. He shows his love toward us in that. While we were sinners, in rebellion against him, Christ died for us. Now, I got one other thing I need to say. Because we need, to, we need to respond to who we see this morning. If, if Christ is this Christ, he is the bold Christ because he follows the Father's plan, he knows the Father's plan, and he always, uh, he's always a face that we can look at. And, and he's never thrown. He's never thrown off. 
He's never surprised. He's never frustrated. He never goes, oh, no, and has this look of worry and anxiety on his face. But if we can go to him, and he's bold like that, and he's compassionate towards us by giving us what we don't deserve. Literally, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus to be sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. He looks at a sinner, and instead of saying, squish your history, he looks at the sinner and says, I'm offering you an opportunity to come to me. The sad story of Israel is they didn't come. Right? Most of, of Israel has not come. They're still today. The majority of Israel has not come to Christ. They missed it. Even though Christ still continues to call out by his spirit, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit draws them and woos them in Romans. So we're all being drawn by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's sad. It's sad that they didn't come to Jesus in his day. But sadder than that is that Jesus died. We know it. That Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. We know it. He's alive. Jesus has offered us salvation All of us, salvation. We can see evidence of him in the lives of the people in this body and the lives of people that are believers around the world. And he comes to us. And we still don't respond in repentance. We don't turn. We don't turn away. We are just like Israel. We we hear the stories over and over again, and we're distracted by all the little things in this world that pull us away from this one truth that you you need Christ. You need him now. Today is the day of salvation. Look at what what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. We read the earlier uh, part of it earlier. Look at it says in verses 1 through 4. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to those who heard, while God was bore witness with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. How will we escape if we pass up the compassion of Christ? Listen, Jesus is here today. He's bold. He's, he can't be thrown great for us who are Christians. But for those of you who have not yet believed in Christ or pay, placed your faith in him by receiving the free gift of salvation, just receiving it, a free gift of salvation, if you've not responded to that, how will you escape if you neglect that opportunity when, when today he still continues to reach out and offer you the opportunity to come to him? We need to, we need to respond to this truth about the compassion of Christ in one way. Come to him. Come to him. There's nothing about the boldness of Jesus that wouldn't want to make a believer come to him. There's nothing about the compassion of Christ that requires nothing of you other than to receive it. There's nothing about the compassion of Christ that shouldn't draw us to him. Now, I know there are things in our culture that are, that are shouting lies in your brain right now. This past week, Talitha and I shared the gospel with a, a friend of ours who's never been, in, doesn't go to church, not a, not a church-going person, is, has cancer, is having cancer surgery on Tuesday. And we shared the gospel with her on Monday, and she'd never heard it. When we were talking, she said, she said, 
I, 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 can't, I, I can't understand why I don't drink, and I have, I'm a good mama, and I've been doing, and she listed off three or four or five things. She said, I, I can't understand why God, won't, God wants me to have cancer. <laughs> I said, Here, here's a shocker for you, but you know what God requires of you? She said, what? I said, perfection. She didn't have anything else to say. But the good news is this. Jesus is, it's a gift from God as well. Jesus has already been perfect for you. All you got to do is receive the gift. She had never heard that before. She was blown away by the truth. Some of you need to be blown away by the truth. The God of compassion, although his justice requires you to be perfect, he gave you perfection through Christ. All you got to do is receive it. Jesus today was calling out to you and saying, I would gather you under my wings. Right now, I would gather you under my wings. Don't, don't let the, at the end of your days go into eternity and not have received this free gift of God. Everything changes after that. Receive his free gift. That's a great response to this beautiful characteristic of Jesus. See him for who he is. Don't let religion, don't let your, your own self-righteousness or your, your uh, knowledge of something else or your philo- philosophical uh, ponderings. Don't let none of that stuff stop you from coming to Christ. Just receive the compassion of Jesus. That's who he is. It's so clear in Scripture. So let's take a time right now just to, to pause. Let's bow our heads and just, uh, just for a moment and I'll, I'll pray for us in just a second. But what do you want to say to God in response to, to what he said to you through his word today? What would you like to say to him? And just say it. Just whisper a prayer to Christ today about his boldness, his compassion, whatever is spoken to you, drawn, drawn you to him today. And then respond in prayer. Give your life to Christ if you haven't done that. It's, it's, it's not complicated. Just say a prayer. I, I believe. It's in my heart. I feel it in my heart. I believe you've changed me. I feel you working in me to will this. And so I want you. I receive Christ. I receive eternal life. And if you're a believer and you've been walking like Jesus doesn't have the future in control, man, realize there is a, he has everything under control. He is bold and compassionate. Father, hear our prayers today. Thank you for who you are. We praise you today, God. We lift you up in our hearts, with our lips. God, we lift you up for who you are showing us that you are. How can can a man not be drawn to you? How can a woman not be drawn to your compassion? Father, grab our hearts today. Deafen our ears to the lies of the enemy today as he tries to tell us there's, there's more. There has to be more. And Father, change us by your spirit. Come live inside of us and change us. Help us to, to adjust to you so we can expedite the process. Not that you're not going to change us anyway, but Lord, that we would move with you and, and, and allow you to change us quickly because this community desperately needs to know the truth about who you are. Father, we love you. And we sing to you and worship you today in Jesus' name.